Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Carmen Christopher wrote for and performed on The Chris Gethard Show, eventually hosting the first episode of Chris Gethard Presents on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. Christopher's other early credits included appearances on The Special Without Brett Davis, At Home with Amy Sedaris, High Maintenance, Alternatino with Arturo Castro, Shrill, Joe Parra Talks With You, and Search Party. He's currently a writer and performer on Craig Robinson's Killing It, is a recurring character on FX's The Bear, and a writer on Nathan Fielder's upcoming Showtime series, The Curse. And in 2021, his street special, performed on the streets and sidewalks of New York City, became the first original comedy special for Peacock. Christopher talked to me about his early years learning comedy in his native Chicago, auditioning for Saturday Night Live, and the differences between performing in New York and Los Angeles. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! This is unusual for me. Usually I know a lot about comedians before the first time I see them, but when I went back into my notes, the first time that I remember seeing you, Carmen Christopher, was in the summer of 2016, and the very first time I saw you, you were auditioning for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was a while ago. Shit, <laughs> that was uh, yeah, I remember that. That was a that was a good show, actually. I mean, I remember leaving and feeling good about that. I mean, I didn't get hired, but I felt good about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the first and the only time that I've ever been invited or allowed to see one of those it wasn't at third let me clarify it wasn't at 30 rock it was at the pit yeah yeah it was like an audition to get to 30 rock to do the screen test and so they have like they set up you know a ton of those showcases to see who they want to invite to screen tests and so i i got invited to that i was asked to submit a tape so i submitted a tape then I guess if they like your tape, they ask you to showcase. So I showcased. And then the showcase that you came to went really well for me. And then I ended up screen testing at 30 Rock. And then I did not get hired, which is A-OK. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, didn't want, they didn't want your turtle from Entourage. Oh, my God. Dude, that's so funny. I forgot about that. Yeah, I had an audition. I I mean, I had a, my impressions were like so stupid because I don't do impressions, but I was like, what's funny? And so I did Turtle from Entourage and it was him at a bar, like ordering a sneaker. And then I did Lin-Manuel at a strip club. <laughs> and it was because Hamilton was huge in 2016. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of could pass looking like Lynn Manuel on that show. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. I forgot about that. 
Damn. So how long had you been in New York at that point? I know you're originally from Chicago. So at that point, the point that I auditioned for SNL, I was in New York for two years. I got to New York in 2014. In, towards the end, I got to New York in October 2014. Okay. Maybe a year and a half, two years, depending on when that was, that audition. What was your Chicago comedy experience like before deciding to move to New York? My Chicago comedy experience was pretty fun, but also like it was learning. I started off in um, doing sketch and improv. So I started out like classes at Second City. Then I did classes at IO Theater. Then I did classes at The Annoyance. And then I was like doing acting classes. I was trying to like do everything so that I can get better because like I'd never been on stage in my life until I was like 24, 25. Everybody was just better than me at at the beginning. But I was like, we would go out and drink and I'd be like the funny guy. So I was like, well, if I'm funny to all these people that are really good at improv, I just got to figure out how to do this. So I started taking all these classes and there was a lot of like rejection at the beginning in terms of like trying to get on improv teams. I wasn't like, I just wasn't very good. I, and I also was like, I had such, I had such a bad attention span. My attention span's gotten better thanks to like meditating. But like, I would be on the side, like watching an improv show. And I'd be like, what the fuck is happening? I have no <laughs> idea what's happening in this show that I am also in. And maybe, I don't know what it was, but then I, you know, I got better and I got better by the time. So it was like a lot of like not getting on teams. But then by the time I left Chicago, I was like, running my own weekly show that became really popular. And um, then I was like getting asked to be on all these teams. I was on a house team at Second City, a house team at Annoyance. I had like a weekly sketch show at IO. I was doing like 10 shows a week, truly. It was like, it was like, that's what's great about Chicago is like everything was within like a three mile radius. So you just bike everywhere and you have like two or three shows a night. And, um, it was great. It felt like a really good place to experiment and to try shit and to like push boundaries. And there's no industry out there. You can't get any job. The only job you can get is second city. And there's like six of those positions. So it's like, if you're doing comedy in Chicago, it's like, you truly love it because you're not going to get a job. You have to leave at some point. Were you, were you also then having to work odd jobs or working in a roast beef shop or? Working for the bear. Yeah. (laughs) I actually had a very real job. Like I went to, I graduated from college with a business degree. So I worked in sales for eight years. I was working in sales in Chicago the whole time I was doing comedy. So I was working 50 hours a week and then going out doing shows and like watching shows, taking classes every night. I was sleeping like four or five hours a night. And it was like, I was exhausted, but it was like, I, I knew that it was like, I have to do this now. Otherwise, I'm never going to do it. But I was working at um, a supply chain and logistics company. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I was, yeah, was going to ask if, this, if the, the sales job appealed to you because of the performative aspects of dealing. No, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. It was like I got offered a job out of school that had a base salary of $36,000. And to me, I thought that I was going to be rich with $36,000. I was like, yes, let's go. That's great. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was so clueless my whole 
life about what I wanted to do or what I was doing until I started actually doing comedy. Then I was like, this is, I guess this is the thing. What made you decide New York instead of LA then? By the time I was ready to leave Chicago, you know, I grew up there. So I was like, before I even started improv, I was like, I want to move to LA or something. And just like switch it up, do something. And then I started doing comedy. So I ended up staying in Chicago for like another five years because the comedy scene was so great and I was having fun. Um, but I'd gone to visit LA and I went to visit New York. And my impression of LA was that this was like a beach town, <laughs> even though, you know, East LA is an hour away from the beach, but I was like, this feels like vacation. I was like, I don't feel like I've earned this. This is like, this feels like you go here to retire. And I, <laughs> and I went to New York and it was just like, it's New York. It's the best city in the world. I mean, you know, I love Chicago's home. I love Chicago, but New York, there's like something, it's the best. And I had friends out there, you know, Connor O'Malley was out there at the time and Gary Richardson. Those were two guys in our group of Chicago comedy friends who kind of moved out there first and, I would just call them every week and just kind of ask questions about New York. And it just seemed like there was an actual comedy community out there. And it felt like a place where I could keep growing and keep getting better at comedy. Like, I didn't feel like I fully like, I didn't feel like I was fully formed. So it felt like another place to just keep like growing. And LA felt like more, it, it sounded like it was more professional, which isn't bad, but it's just like, I wanted to just keep doing live comedy and getting better. So New York felt like the spot. Was it because of Connor and Gary that you ended up in Chris Gethard's orbit or was that something Oh, that's else? a good question. Um, I'm sure in some capacity, like he learned about. So there was like a rush of Chicago, our, our Chicago crew, um, specifically like John Reynolds was part of that. And like Annie Donnelly, like Joey Dundas. There was this like Anthony Oberbeck, Matt Baratz. There was this huge group from Chicago that came to New York at the same time. I think maybe that probably had something to do with it. But like I, Chris had seen me do shows and we'd been on shows together. So I think that helped. And then I submitted a packet to his show and my packet, my like, cover letter i wrote a cover letter like nobody writes a cover letter for a comedy packet but i was like i'm gonna write a cover letter but my cover letter was all about how i thought i was a better writer than their current writer drew johnston who, <laughs> who, I'm, who i'm now friends with and um was friends with then and i wrote about how i could like beat him up and how um, <laughs> I really am desperate for this job and how I've been hanging out in like Comedy Central's lobby, like begging them to like hire me to do anything. And that I was using transcripts of hiding in my parents' closet and recording transcripts of them having sex and using that as my packet to commit to Comedy Central. It was, I mean, I'm not selling you on it. It was nonsense. <laughs> it was like, it was complete nonsense, but they read that and they thought it was so funny. And then they read my packet and mm -hmm. to this day, Chris was like, your packet wasn't very good, but the cover letter was so funny that we were like, we have to hire this guy. <laughs> it's like an improvised talk show, you, you know, like with games and stuff. And I was like, I don't know how, like, 
I'm not like great at like coming up with a conceptual idea, but I was like, if I could just write something that shows up that I'm funny, then I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to submit this. And if there's any show to do that for, it's like the Gethard show, like a weird show that ex- like they have a history of like just hiring, you know, alt comics from New York. How long were you part of? I was only there. I was only there. I was there for the last season. um, Okay. At True TV. Um, Yeah. That show could have kept going, but I don't think Chris wanted to do it anymore. I mean, he was like trying to have a kid and stuff and he was kind of sick of like doing bits where they pour like barbershop hair that was swept from the ground on his head. I think he kind of grew out of it. Right, because then he eventually like started like presenting other people doing their own shows, and you were one of those people. Yeah, yeah, he did the Chris Gethard presents. I was the first one to do that, and then I did it a total of three times. That was super fun. Um, and then it kind of went all the way up until COVID, and then it just shut it down. It hasn't happened since, I don't think. At that before the pandemic, though, did you see yourself? as a more as a writer or more as a performer um performer always because i was doing live shows i was doing shows like oh but both both i guess you know because like you know i'm doing live shows but i'm writing everything that i'm doing like whether it's sketch or stand up um i always thought of myself as both and kind of wanted whatever like even when i was on the get there show i was like most of the stuff I would pitch is like a character for myself. <laughs> it was like selfish in that way, but it was like, I just, I know how to like, I don't know. There's like the thing with my comedy, I feel like too, is like, um, I don't know. It's just like, I, I've written stuff that I think is funny for myself that works well for myself. And then I try to pitch it to like other shows and it's just like, it's not that voice, but I always think that like, um, they kind of go hand in hand for me personally, but I, I, I love, I love performing. I love writing. When the street special came about, was that a concept that you had in your back pocket or was that something that only came about because of the constraints of the pandemic? Mostly the constraints of the pandemic, but it was kind of something that was brewing I used to do these stupid things where I'd go on the subway train and like make an announcement. And I was just like desperate for like people to think I was funny, I guess. I was like, these ideas, those, that was born out of, I feel like I started doing those when social media, like Instagram was like peaking, like as like people were like, I have an announcement. Here's this thing. I was like, it's so embarrassing to do that. But I was like, you know, it would be really embarrassing is if you went on the subway and made an announcement about how you got new headshots or about how your improv team has um, a Michael Myers run, uh, you know, improvised Michael Myers. It's like, this is so humiliating. They're like, always post about this shit. I was like, I'm going to do it on the subway. Mm-hmm. And, and it kind of got a little traction. So I was, and then I kind of was like done with it. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is too humiliating. Then I was like walking around New York and I was like, man, people that like walk around with these speakers and just blast music, it's so stupid and so annoying. And so then I was like, well, that would be funny. What if I took a big speaker and, you know, did 
stand up on it and, you know, did like a, a, a five minute set on the streets and just posted that like a five minute set. And then I was like, then it was the pandemic. I never did it. And then it was the pandemic. And then I was like, I have like an hour of material and I don't want to do this material once the pandemic is over. Like, I just want to start fresh. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what if I, I just take the best half of an hour and film it? So I filmed it with a crew, a small crew of Danny Cher, Harris Meyerson, and Matt Nelson. And we went out and we filmed it. And like the goal was to try to sell it as a special, but we kind of all thought it was just going to go on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So we shot it and we were really happy with it. I'm really happy with like how those guys worked on it and everything. So we edited it together and we're like, this feels good. Like, I feel like we might be able to try to pitch this. So I took it to my reps and we pitched it around and Peacock bought it as their first special and they gave no notes. So they were just going to put it up. I was like, this is crazy. But the issue was that like, you know, we had to, we didn't really have like location releases and stuff like that. So I had to do it as a production company. So I had to like open a production company and, you know, get lawyers involved, get insurance and stuff. And so it was like this like weird thing of like, I had to like learn how to kind of like sell a show to network as a production it's like a good to know it's not a big deal but um how long did that take and how much did it cost you to figure all that out well so peacock gave us money to you know they paid they paid me to pay the people that were working on it and stuff and so you know i made a little bit of money i didn't make like people when i hear how much people make on specials i'm like really jealous because i did not make but I am like grateful for the opportunity. Like it got to go on a platform that makes it feel like, you know, it's more than just like you posting it to your own social media. It makes it feel a little bit more legitimate. And, um, but like to actually shoot the special, it was just like, it didn't cost much. It was like, it was people's time and it was me buying people lunch. But so much of the videos I made in New York is just like, there's no money. It's just like, getting a crew that you believe in and that believes in you and that you all want to make something good. And then it costs no money and hopefully something comes from it, you know? Yeah. I have in my notes that the, the work that you did specifically for street special reminded me a little bit of Andy Kaufman, but Mm -hmm. then specifically of the work Fred Armisen did before Saturday night live. Like he would do these stunts like he famously went to South by Southwest in character interviewing musicians and bands. Yeah. I've never, I've never seen that. And I hear about it all the time. Is there somewhere to watch that? I think, I think it's on YouTube somewhere. I mean, I mean, they were filmed like in the late nineties. So it was, it was all done before YouTube, but I think some of it is still up there. Both of those things. I mean, especially Kaufman, it's, it's very gorilla yeah guerrilla warfare kind of comedy where you're yeah the audience is unsuspecting or they don't know what they're in for yeah had had you done a lot of that stuff before like the shows that you were doing or the stunts you were doing in chicago was it were were you doing stunts like that in chicago um i was do i did some man on the street stuff and it always came really easy to me like i like i'm not like scared to talk to people like i enjoy 
talking to people. So it never felt like that crazy. Um, so I'd done some of that stuff, but I guess to me, like the reason I'm drawn to doing that stuff is because it's hard <laughs> and it's like, and it is humiliating. And I like doing, I like being the butt of the joke instead of like making fun of somebody. Like even when I like do a, my standup is like, I'm playing a character a heightened character of myself. It's like the dumbest version of myself. And I think that's interesting to lean into. It's so much easier to be like, man, this is like, this Trump guy is bad. His followers are bad or this so-and-so is bad. But I'm like, why don't you just be that person? We all have some like part of ourselves we hate. So I'm trying to be that. And it's not like that. It's necessarily always true. It is heightened, but I'm like, and I think part of the like doing the stuff on the street is like just being a bad kid. <laughs> like when we were like, when I was young, it was just like a bad kid. I feel like that's like my comedy is like a version of that in a way. <laughs> and I guess there's some element to New York city itself where I don't know. I don't know what tourists must feel about New York city in 2023, but as someone who's lived here for a while, it definitely feels like a city where you're just supposed to expect the unexpected. So yeah. Like yeah. with somebody like people making announcements on the subway or you're eating, di you're eating lunch at Veselka. Yeah. There's going to be some weirdo 20 feet away from you doing yeah. something. So if they have a microphone and a, in a amplifier. Yeah. How is that any weirder than my typical Tuesday? Yeah, it, it it feels like that's why people move, move to New York. And it feels like that's why people stay in New York and people love New York. Like, it's annoying sometimes and you don't want to fucking deal with it. But it's a huge playground for fucking weirdos. It, like, when I was in Chicago, I fully felt like in the comedy scene, like I felt like for a little bit, I was like a weird, like, you know, we had a group of comedians or we had a, we had um, a, um, collective called kill all comedy and it was like people that were doing like weird shit and interesting stuff and i thought it was like you know we were the outsiders but it was becoming kind of popular as we were leaving and when i got to new york i was like i'm not weird at all like this place is embracing me and it's like you can like it felt like fun i was like the least weird, weird person on the lineup you know well maybe not but that's what I love most about New York is that, that it's chaos constantly. <laughs> were there any parts of the special? I'm I'm guessing the answer is no, but were there any parts of the special that you filmed that you felt you, you couldn't keep in it? Yeah. A lot of, <laughs> well, mo so the, the stuff that we didn't keep in it, was like, there was actually many times where I did a joke in front of a restaurant and the whole restaurant would start clapping or people would be into it. <laughs> and I was like, it feels weird to put that in. It feels a little bit too self-congratulatory where I was like, I kind of want it to look like this was hell because it felt like <laughs> so it's actually the opposite it wasn't it wasn't like you having to run away from people or getting into altercations it was you worried that 
about scenes that made you look like you were doing too well. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, even if it went well, it didn't feel well. So I want the audience to feel what I felt. And it felt like shit, even though, even when it went well, you know what I mean? It was like, I would even run into people at a restaurant that I knew. And I'm like out here with a huge amp and like a microphone. I was like, damn, this sucks. I'm too old for this. but i was like i don't know like we wanted to create like you know the jokes are the jokes those are jokes that i wrote but we wanted to have another layer of like it's going well it's going bad let's win them back small arc nothing crazy it's only half an hour we didn't want to like you know manufacture too much but if it was like too much clapping or too much of a good reaction then it's like, well, then this actually doesn't feel as difficult as it was because it was, it was humiliating. Like there was like, by the end of it, we were in my, we were in uh, Brooklyn in um, Park Slope or something. And I was screaming and there was like families looking at me and <laughs> it was like the last take. I was like, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never doing this again. And then I don't know, but it was fun and I'm glad I did it. <laughs> What was the industry response to it? Um, it was mixed. Like, I think like people that are in the comedy scene that are my friends, like we had a premiere, it went great. And like a lot of people shared it and posted about it and loved it. And uh, the people that know me really liked it. And then I think like there was a write-up in the the New Yorker and um, the, the person didn't really, I don't think they understood what I was doing, but they were like, I think the thing that I, I was just happy. I was like, I'm in the New Yorker. This is sick. This is crazy. What? Like good or bad. It was like, they were writing about it. So I was happy, but I think the response from the New Yorker was like, this will not last as a good comedy piece or something like that is like the last <laughs> sentence. Um, it will not stand the test of time and you know, whatever. Um, but and then I think like, Jason Zinneman might have wrote about it in the New York Times as one of the comic pieces. And he wrote, like, uh, I think it was something like, he's pretty spot on, I feel like, with a lot of this stuff. Because he was like, there's going to be, I think it was something along the lines, and I could be wrong. There's going to be some people that really like this and some, this isn't for, basically, this isn't for everybody. That's mm-hmm. what he said. <laughs> I think he understood. He understood. Um, and then oh and then there was really good there was like pace put it in their like top 10 specials of the year it was like number three or four behind bo burnham and vulture wrote about it and really liked it i guess it was pretty it was mostly positive i don't know why i'm being hard on it it was mostly positive it was more positive than you know i could ever imagine i just every time i put something out i'm like half of the people are gonna hate this half of the people are gonna love it i don't know well did it I guess what I'm wondering is it did did it serve the same purpose as your Chris Gethard cover letter where show yeah. business was like, I don't know what it is, but we got to hire this guy. Oh, that's funny. Interesting. Um, I've had like a lot of general meetings with um, networks and people have seen it and really liked it. Yeah. I think it did serve a good purpose and um, they brought it up and, I don't know if it's exactly led to work, but it's led to some stuff. Like I got to go on like late night, you know, that was cool. Like I, you know, it's like, it definitely opened up a door to things that I didn't have 
or wasn't able to do. So I think it worked in a, a positive way, you know? I'm just wondering, like, with, with roles like the bear, did that? Oh, interesting. The bear. So I think um, I, I had a general with Chris Store before I even auditioned for the bear, and he did see the special, and they seemed to have liked it or mm-hmm. thought it was cool. Um, and, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the special didn't get me the bear. The audition, when I auditioned, the audition got me the bear. Um, but I think him having an early recognition of who I was before I auditioned is, Mm -hmm. was helpful for sure. Okay. And then you told him, well, I'm from Chicago, so I know. Yeah. I think they knew I was from Chicago. So I know how to inhabit this space. Yeah. I'm that guy. I'm that guy. (laughs) I, I would also guess that your experiences in comedy also probably prepared you a little bit for working with, with people like Nathan Fielder. Oh, um, yeah, I think he, I think he used to, I think he saw those trained videos I used to do and he's, he saw my special and I think, um, he kind of can relate to being in, or I can at least relate to him. You know, Nathan for you is all him dealing with real people and businesses and stuff and putting himself out there as himself, I guess, a heightened version of himself. Right. Uh, um, I guess it prepared me in the way of like, I was like, well, if I'm getting hired by this guy to write on a show, then I could just be myself, you know, in, in, you know, and that writer's room for that show was, was really small. So it was like, I don't have any choice, but to just be myself. I think it prepared me in the way of like, I'm fully who I am and, I just have to be that, I suppose. Whereas okay. maybe in the past I wasn't always maybe in the past I was trying to like fit something to like do a good job. Yeah. And of course now, you know, you're you're talking to me from Los Angeles. That's right. What's your attitude of LA now that you that you are there? My attitude of LA now is that I really like having a backyard. And <laughs> I like being able like i'm looking out my window right now and it's sunny it's fucking nice the weather's always nice and that and that helps my attitude i my attitude is you have to be extremely proactive here like if you want to do anything if you just even want to hang out with your friends you have to like make the initiative to hang out with everybody because people don't see each other the way they do in new york you do a show in new york and you randomly run into 30 of your friends. You just, you're not running into people that way out here where it's like a hangout. So my attitude of LA is I do like it, but it is what you make of it. You have to like put yourself out there and like start over again. And like, you know, so that's kind of my attitude with it. I I enjoy it right now. How are your goals different now from when you were, hustling around Chicago, hosting a show and performing everywhere? My goals? Damn, that's a good question. I think my goals are, (laughs) I feel more confident as like a writer in terms of creating something that is bigger, whether it be a movie or a television show. So I just want to keep trying to work towards 
that potentially happening one day and hopeful that I can create something that's long form in that, in, in that way where I've done, I've done a lot of short films and I've done, and I was, and I continue to do them. I got to do the special and, you know, I've been in some development processes and stuff, but I just, I hope that one day, you know, I could create something bigger and longer with some friends that I think are funny. I think that would be really cool. Well, you definitely have some very funny friends and, uh, I love all all the stuff you've done. You know, like my friend Jason Zimmerman said, it's not for everybody, but it's definitely for me. So <laughs> I look forward to seeing what you do next and talking Thank about that. Oh, I'm down. Let's uh, let's definitely let's put a pin in it. Let's schedule another one. I'm down awesome. The <laughs> Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thanks, Carmen. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.